invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 4. We'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 25, and we're going to read into chapter 5, the first two verses, beginning at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, and reading through the end of verse 2 in chapter 5. I hope you'll follow along with your copy of the scriptures. I found it so beneficial to follow along and listen and see the words and allow the Spirit of God to speak to our hearts. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry. And do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God for whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God As beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is God's word. Let me pray. Our Father, we are so grateful, should be grateful, that we can open a copy of the scriptures and read your word in our own language. We should be very grateful because faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. What a privilege to have it in our language that we can grow in faith and our hope can be renewed. And as we know, there are people in this world who do not have this. That's why I'm so thankful for this church. I'm thankful for these believers who consistently, faithfully, systematically give, making a difference, seeing to it that we're helping little by little to get a copy of the scriptures in the hands of those who do not have it in their language. This morning we have it and we can hear your commands. We can hear your instructions. We can hear and read how you will help us to live for you, how to please you. Lord, we want to please you. So this morning, Holy Spirit, show us, speak to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Let me ask you this morning, you, you, you don't have to respond, but do you find it difficult to love others? Now, I know you're in church and you're going to go, oh, no problem, no difficulty there. Let me ask you again, do you often find it difficult to love others? Now, I'm not talking about loving those who are lovable, the easy people to love. I'm not talking about emotionally loving. What I mean is, do you find it difficult 
to love sacrificially? Do you find it difficult to love costly? Do you find it difficult to love beneficially? And if you say yes, I am right there with you because I do too. I find it difficult. I wish I could say otherwise, but I find it difficult to consistently love sacrificially, love others beneficially. I struggle. My wife knows it. God knows it. Now you know it. And I tell you what, I'm just going to say it. I need help. I need help to consistently love others sacrificially and beneficially. And a love anthem is not what can help me. What do I mean by love anthem? Uh, just this last week, I, I was listening to NPR. I know, forgive me. Um, uh, but I was listening to NPR, and they, they were telling the story of the song that came out in 1967 uh, by the Youngbloods, uh, Everybody Get Together. Now, it, the chorus goes like this. Uh, Come on, people, now. Smile on your brother, everybody get together. Try to love one another right now. 1967, big hit. Heard the story about it this week. And actually Walmart brought that song back as, as, an, as a commercial just, just in the last year. So most of you probably heard it if you, you know, if you think about it. That's a love anthem. That's a love anthem that from, from, from culture that says, you know, we need to love each other. You know, during 1967, things were really a mess in the United States. And this song was put forth as, hey, come on, let's get together. Let's love each other, you know. And, and they're doing that song now in concerts around the world. Different groups have picked it up. It's a love anthem. Right after that was um, the Beatles, All You Need Is Love. Uh, then John Lennon, Imagine. And uh, then, you know, Michael Jackson, uh, We Are the World. And, you know, there's... There, Every generation has its love anthems that says to us, hey, we have trouble loving each other. We're nasty to each other. We're mean with each other. We need to love each other. We need to unify. I have learned that love anthems do not help me. You can sing, you can come to me and sing it in the sweetest way. Come on, people now, smile on your brother Everybody, I'm so cynical. I hear that and go, you know, I am, I am, I am too cynical. I am. That kind of stuff does not help me at all. I need help. I'm guessing that you need help. And in our text this morning, we face the challenge once again. Don't you see it there in verse two, chapter five and walk in love. That's not just a challenge, that is a command. That is an imperative from God himself. And if you're asking what does it mean to walk in love, uh, Paul always uses this imagery. What he means is live in love, act in love. Just as, as, as ordinary as it is walking and breathing, live in love. And I want you to notice something here. God does not use a love anthem to motivate us to do this. No, he, he uses something else entirely. And so together, let's see what it is this morning. Now, first, a little background. A little background for this letter. It's a, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul in the first century 
to Christians who were living in the city of Ephesus. If you were to read this letter, it wouldn't take you very long at all. If you read the first half of it, chapters 1, 2, and 3, what you find is Paul is reminding the people of God of what God has done for them graciously in Christ. Then in chapter 4, it begins what's called imperatives or commands, which means here's how you must live in light of what God has done graciously for you in Christ. And in chapter 4, he mentions we must put off the old self and put on the new self. And what might that look like? Well, we don't have to search too far. It begins in verse 25, at least our reading this morning. Verse 25 said, therefore, having put away falsehood. Now, what does that mean? Uh, Simply put, it means stop blowing smoke, okay? Stop blowing smoke. Stop putting on. You know, we find that oftentimes when we are misleading people, telling them something that's not true, we're trying to make ourselves look good. You know, we're putting on. You know, we, we, don't, we don't tell it this way, we'll tell it this way, and we'll look better. Because that's, that's often what we want. We're seeking glory and attention and appreciation and all that kind of stuff. And so now that we're in Christ, now that we're loved by the greatest and most important being in the universe, stop doing that. Stop lying. Stop misleading. Stop blowing smoke. Stop putting on. Then he goes on to say, we need to learn how to manage our anger. Be angry, but sin not. Then he tells us, don't steal. Stop stealing. Work. And and, and be able to give, to benefit others who are in need. Then he goes on to watch your speech. Oh, my goodness. Watch how you talk. Watch how you communicate. Then in verses 31 through 32, look at those with me. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Positively, though, put on, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, stop right there before anyone gets misled. Do not think that we have just read a list of straighten up your life and God will accept you. No, this is written to Christians who have already been forgiven. They've already been forgiven. They've already received the grace of God because it just said in verse 32, as God in Christ forgave you. So this is not an invitation to say, okay, I'm going to stop lying, stop doing this, stop doing this, and then I'll be so nice and clean, God will accept me. No, he's already received us in Christ. We're already loved and accepted. So in verse 5, or chapter 5, I should say verse 1, it leads right into the word therefore. In other words, since God has forgiven you, since he's been so gracious, be imitators of God. Uh, like beloved children. You know, you've probably experienced those times if you had little children in your life, you'd do something and you'd see them over there doing it. You got a hammer, and then they got their plastic hammer, and they're already trying to imitate you. And so we're being told here, just like children imitate their father, we who, who have been redeemed and shown grace by our father, we are to imitate him. And so here, here's what I want to do this morning. Do two things, not, not three, not four, but two today. Two things I want to look at. First is how Christ's love for us pleased the Father. And then secondly, how our love for others pleases the Father. Both points about pleasing the Father. My guess is, my guess is that when we're really thinking right, we're really going at it right. We want to please our Father in heaven. We want to do that. And so any instruction that will help me to do that, I want to hear it. 
And so, first, how Christ's love for us pleased the Father. Chapter 5, verse 2, again, and walk in love. Now, as you're reading the Bible, uh, I I, I need help. I need need things defined. I need things drawn out for me. And so, my first question would be, well, what does that look like? What does it look like for me to live my life in love? And God does not leave me in mystery because the very next word, he says, and walk in love as, as. You see it? As. What that means is God is getting ready to tell us, I want to show you a model for living your life in love. What is it? As Christ loved us. Okay? Now, we stop there for just a moment. We think, okay. How did Christ love us? Let's, let's kind of tease that out just for a moment. Well, notice the next phrase. And gave himself up. When you find that phrase in the New Testament, and you do a few times, it means, God, it means Christ giving his life away. It means his death upon the cross. He gave himself to us. Now first, what we need to see is this. What kind of love are we looking at here? First, we're looking at sacrificial love. He gave himself away. It was a sacrificial love, a costly love. So already we're learning. We're to walk in love as as Christ loved us. And so we're to live loving to others, sacrificially costly. But there's one other thing. Do you see what it says next? And gave himself up for us. Not only is Christ's love sacrificial and costly, it is beneficial. He gave himself up for us. His death, his sacrifice benefited us greatly. And so to explain Christ's loving sacrificial death, Paul goes on to use the imagery of fragrance. Look at verse 2. I want you to see this. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I don't know what it was exactly, I can't remember, it's been a few months ago, that drew me to this verse. There was something I read, an article or something that caused me to go to this verse. And as I looked at it, as I you know, went over it again, and I, I decided I want, I want to preach on this Palm Sunday, Holy Week, leading up to Good Friday. That word fragrant, fragrant. To a fragrance, a fragrance is a smell that is usually a pleasant smell. Uh, for example, perfumes are often, often cologne, perfume, often called fragrances. Now, I would imagine that if it, you, you have a certain fragrance that really gets your attention, coffee drinkers out there, you smell that morning brew of coffee, and, and you have your favorite coffee and you smell it, you'll, you, it's like, wow, that is so good. That is so pleasing to the senses. Now, for me, it's not coffee. It, it'd be bacon. You know, bacon, frying. How many of you like bacon? You, you smell bacon and what a fragrance. Man, that is a good smell. And so that's a fragrance as opposed to an odor. Odors are almost always things that smell bad. Fragrances are things that smell good. And so to help us, I'm going to call out my trusty assistant. Trusty assistant, will you come and join me here? If you will put on the blindfold. 
Okay, good. You can't, can't see anything? All right, good. All right, why don't you help me out? I have in my hand a fragrance. I want to know, is it pleasing or not pleasing? Is it pleasing? Yeah. Okay, all right. I have another fragrance here. Now, this was brute. Guys, you, I know this is old-timey stuff. This is, like, this is like old spice. Catherine won't let me wear this. It's almost full. I, used it. I wore it one time. That was it. I went to this, Paul Sebastian, okay? Now, uh, I don't have much of this, Trevor, so let me, let me kind of spray it in the air. All right. But is that, is that pleasing or yeah. pleasing? Okay, good. All right. Next we have... Trevor, is this a uh, is this a pleasing odor or, or, or fragrance, or is it an, an odor? No, that's, that's what is it? Odor. That's odor. Okay, we have what? We have a fragrance, a fragrance, both pleasing. We have an odor. One of my socks. Uh, <laughs> Trevor, thank you, thank you for your help, buddy. Now. Just wanted you to see that. How does, how does this help? In other words, what is Paul referring to when he says a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God? What, what does he want us to think about? What, what does he want us to, to come to our mind? Well, first, you have to know a little bit about the Old Testament. Okay? Without the Old Testament, we would really be in a mystery. We'd go like, what is he talking about? Paul's original audience would have known in the first century. Now, some of you know, some of you already know, some of you say, I think I know, but some of you don't know. So let's, let's just walk through this a little bit. What, what we see when we go back to the Old Testament and we start trying to figure out what is Paul saying, first thing we need to recognize is this. We see in the Old Testament God explaining how a sinful people can be accepted by God. Or let me say it this way. We see how a sinful people can be accepted by a holy God. Now, that's a problem for some people in our culture. Because many people say, God accepts everybody, bud. You know, he's not leaving anybody out. Everybody's accepted, dude. Now, wait a minute. That, that, does that make sense? Now, it makes sense to some people, but it's really nonsensical. Because, for example, you, you and I live in a world... We're not, not everything is accepted. You go, you go to the bank for home loan. If you do not qualify, you will not be accepted, right? You won't. People get turned down. They're not accepted. So we live in a world where if, 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 if you don't have it together, you may not be accepted. You cannot walk up to the White House and knock on the door and say, hey, Donald, I'm here. It just does not happen that way. We live in a world where some are accepted and some are not. So, so don't let this bother you. What we see in the Old Testament is God taking the initiative, explaining how a sinful people like you and I can be accepted by a holy God. And part of God's system, you might say, to deal with our sin and acceptance includes an animal being placed upon this altar. You'll see a picture of the tabernacle. Okay, this is a model of the Old Testament tabernacle. We've been in the book of Exodus. You see, this is the model. Now, right here, this piece right here is called the brazen altar. 
you would enter, you would enter as a worshiper, you would enter this gate or this curtain, and you go in, the first thing you would see is the brazen altar. And what you would experience is this. There was a fire going on at that altar continually that did not go out. And, and there's, there's certain aromas I'm sure that you would have smelt because what you're going to do is you're going to bring your sacrificial animal. Let's read it. In Leviticus 1 and 3, you'll see this. God is speaking. He said, if his offering, if the worshiper's offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall make a, or shall offer a male without blemish. Now notice this. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. Now that's God saying, there's a way. I'm going to make a way that sinful people can be accepted. So they're going to bring, they're going to bring a sacrificial animal. Now I know, now I know you're saying, for many of these, this is so primitive. This is so unpleasant. But cons- I just want you to consider the precious truths that are conveyed here. Notice the next verse, Leviticus 1 and 4. He, the worshiper, shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Now just stop there. You're the worshiper. You're coming sincerely, genuinely as a sinner. You're bringing your sacrificial animal. You come and it says he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering. This, this animal is going to be a burnt offering in just a moment. And he is, the worshiper is to lay his hands on. Now something, something that helped me this week uh, that I learned and it's just wonderful things about Bible study. The word lay in the Hebrew literally means to lean into, to lean into, or another way of putting it, to press down upon. In other words, the worshiper would stand there, and he wouldn't just reach over and just touch the head. He leaned into the animal. He put his hand on it and pressed in. It was kind of like it's the word used for a person having a cane, and they lean on that cane for support. What's happening here? What's all this stuff mean? What's happening is the worshiper is identifying with the animal. What says, he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it, it, the sacrifice, the animal, it shall be accepted for him to make an atonement for him. The animal has become a substitute. And when the worshiper lays hand, pressing in, leaning upon, he is saying, I, the sinner, approach God leaning, leaning upon this blameless sacrifice. And then we read just a few verses later. Look at this. And Aaron's sons of the priests shall arrange the pieces, the head, the fat on the wood that is on the fire of the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now what? Look, is this, is this just God? You know, is this, is, is, would this be like God standing outside a longhorn going... Boy, what well, they're cooking today or stand outside of famous Dave's barbecue. You know, you pull up there and you could smell the aroma of the fragrance wafted across the bar. Is this just simply God going, love to smell that cooked meat down there? You know? No, no. What, what's happening here? Everybody here, surely by now you know all about the cheating scandal, the college cheating scandal. Felicity Huffman, Lori Laughlin, those are the two big names, of course. And Lori Laughlin, 500, half a million dollars paid, you know, to get, 
you know, her girls into college. And we know something's wrong with that. We, we know, we know, we know instinctively, don't we? When it came out, we were all like, what? What? Them cheaters. Now imagine for just a moment. Lori Laughlin walks in. She's standing before the judge, and she's like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I was such a fool. What did I do? I'm so sorry. Judge is moved. Oh, my goodness. You, you, you seem so sincere. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You can leave. And she's walking out of the courthouse. You're standing there, and Laurie looks over, and she goes, And you go, whoa, here. She's not sincere. She's faking it. This is wrong. Somebody needs to be punished. Justice. What is God wanting us to see in all of this that we've been looking at? He's wanting us to see the horror of our sin against a holy God. He's wanting us to see as they looked at that altar and they could smell that burning flesh and that animal who was alive, who is now dead as a substitute for the worshiper. He was wanting the worshiper to see that, yes, the wages of sin really is death. The worshiper would watch as the animal bled, died, and was consumed on the altar. And as the aroma, listen, as the aroma, as the fragrance rises into heaven, God is pleased. He's pleased because of a substitute, a sacrificial, beneficial love. God's holiness, his justice are satisfied, and he is pleased. And this is what Paul is referring to in verse 2 when he said, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's look at it. You'll see it on the screen. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, I don't know if any of you have seen the movie. It's out right now, Hotel Mumbai. I, I look around at you and I probably think that's probably not your kind of movie, but it's based upon a true story. 2008, there were a group of terrorists who, who, who came in to the hotel with the intent of killing everybody inside. They went into the dining room. They just mowed them down as they sat at the table. 200 people dead that night. But there was one who lived. A reporter was interviewing a guest who had been at the hotel for dinner that night. The guest described how he and his friends were eating dinner when he heard gunshots. Someone grabbed him and pulled him under the table. The assassins came striding through the restaurant, shooting at will until everyone, or at least so they thought, had been killed. Miraculously, this man survived. When the interviewer asked the guest how he survived when everyone else at his table had been killed, he said this, I suppose because I was covered in someone else's blood and they took me for dead. Man, does that speak to you or not? Just because of someone else's blood, it appeared that he was dead. And he was allowed to live. Friends, I, I would hope, <laughs> I would hope you're seeing the connection. You see, Christ's death on the cross, Christ's death on our behalf, Christ's death on Good Friday was an expression of the greatest love of all. Sacrificial, costly, atoning blood was shed with mercy for all men. 
It was beneficial. It was sacrificial. And it was to God. Do you see that? In verse 2. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And it was a fragrant that pleased God. All right. Say, okay, good. Christ's love pleased the Father. But now secondly, we are told to walk in love as Christ loved us. And so now let's ask how our love for others pleases God. Uh, Josh played a song during the communion time when we were being served. And, and it was, take my life and let it be. It is a song about Christian consecration. It is, it is the, the, you know, the one who wrote it and those who sing it. It is basically saying, Lord, since you have given your life for me as an expression of love, the only fitting response is that I give my life to you. So, you know, it's take my voice and take this and take this, take my life. But there's one verse that drew my attention this week. It's take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Remember that verse? Take my hands and let them move, what? At the impulse. An impulse is a strong urge to act. It's like, I've got to do this. But because of this, I've got to do this. That's what the songwriter was meaning. And when we sing it, Lord, take my hands. Your hands were nailed to a cross. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse, the strong urging of what you have done for me. That is what Paul is speaking of here. And as we reflect upon Christ's sacrificial love, it becomes a powerful motivator for us to act in love. See, God doesn't give us a love anthem and say, just sing this and, and this will get you going. No, he shows us love in action, the love of his son. But now, let's stop here and let's kind of turn it toward home because here's the important question. How does our love for others please God? And how do we know that it even does? Because you, you say you go today and you go, all right, I'm challenged, I'm ready by God's grace, I'm going to go, I'm going to love others this week. And you get to about Wednesday, and it, again, it's sacrificial love. It's costly love. It's not always responded to well, perhaps. And you may get weary, and then you may say, is, is God even pleased with this? I mean, I know I'm supposed to say yes. <laughs> I know I'm supposed to say yes. But is he really, and how can I know that my love, my sacrificial, beneficial, costly love for others, how can I truly know that it pleases God? Answer. Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians, you'll see this. Look at this with me. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrant, of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Now let's hold that there for just a moment. Let's just understand what Paul's saying. He, Christ always leads in a triumphal procession. Paul's using imagery here. 
He's using imagery of his day. A king, a general, coming back in victory, in triumph. Big parade going through the middle of Mount Washington. There's musicians, plenty of horses, wagons, gilded wagons. This, this is a big deal. The general, the king has come back in victory. It's a triumph. In the midst of this parade, there are pagan priests burning incense. Yeah. And what was happening is, long after this procession went by, it's moving through and moving through and moving through. Long after it had gone by, the aroma of the incense hung in the air. It's like a person with a lot of perfume, a lot of cologne. They come into your office, you know, and they leave. And an hour later, the aroma, the fragrance is still there. What is Paul getting at? Paul is describing God's triumphal possession. He says that through us, do you see that? And through us, through Christians, through the church, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. And then, for we are the aroma of Christ to God. What's going on here? So you might be here today thinking, I just don't know that my witness for Christ, my loving others, my proclamation of Christ, my taking time with this person, I don't know that it's really making a lot of difference. Well, let's just stop here and just say, what, what does it say? For we are. We are the aroma of Christ to God. I mean, we really, we really have a significant, meaningful role in life. We really do. We are the aroma of Christ to God. So let's just kind of give some examples. As, as we live for Christ, as we share the gospel message of Christ, as we suffer for Christ, we are a fragrance. Uh, Phil Myers and a number of good people here at Calvary go to the nursing home once a month, one Sunday a month. And when they go, they sing, they pray with people, they converse with people, trying to encourage these folks. And, and then the word of the Lord, the gospel is shared. And that fragrance is there in the room. There's a fragrance of Christ in that room. And when they leave... That fragrance is still hanging in the air. That's what Paul is saying. When, when, you, when, you, when you are talking to that person at work that God has opened up your heart to, you really, you really care about this person, and they, they've been opening a bit because God's opening their heart, and you're, you're talking to them a little bit more, and they're becoming a little bit more open, and you begin to talk about the hope that you have in Christ. You find yourself going, wow, I can't believe I'm really doing this. I'm really getting out there and talking about Jesus to my coworkers. That is the aroma of Christ right there in the workplace. And, and when, you, when you leave and you get in the car and go home, that, that aroma is still hanging in their lives. I heard something this week that you know, really, I, I was so, so, you know, just so happy when I heard it. Uh, Raquel was, Raquel Heacock was telling me that um, her sister, Brooke, who works in the neonatal care at Cozair Hospital, uh, there are occasions where some of the, the preemies do not make it. And sometimes the chaplain is not available. He's, he's busy somewhere else or just not there at that particular time. 
And I, I heard that Brooke, on occasions, has, has stepped up to talk with those parents and try to be some consolation, some comfort to them in the most difficult time of their life. The aroma of Christ. The aroma of Christ. And, and our proclamation of Christ is like a strong fragrance that hangs in the air even after we're gone. God uses that. God uses you. God uses me. He doesn't give us a love anthem. No, he gives us a person and says, hey, walk in love. And you want to model, look at my son. Sacrificial, costly, beneficial love. Brothers and sisters, this Friday, Good Friday, commemorates Christ's sacrificial death and expression of his love for sinners, enemies. We were enemies. It was a fragrance that pleased God. And for all of us who have experienced this love through faith, we are called to go with the impulse of his love and walk in love. And in doing so, friends, when you do this this week, when you say, Lord, use me, use me today. Let me, let me be an aroma of hope, an aroma of grace. Let, let my speech be gracious. I'm yours. I'm in your hands. I'm your vessel. I'm your messenger. And in doing that, be the aroma and fragrance to God which is pleasing to him. I know you want to please God. I know at the the very depth of your heart you want to please God. Love others as Christ loved us. Love others sacrificially, beneficially. And when we do that, the Father is pleased.